Hello and welcome to our latest Data Protection Tea Break, released on the 14th International Data Protection Day 2020, also known as Privacy Day. This gives us the ideal opportunity to lay out our vision for the future, so we'll be discussing what we're calling our Manifesto for Change. I'm Kirsty Bogor and today I'm joined by Emma Martins, the Bailiwick's Data Protection Commissioner. Just a bit of background first on the origins of Data Protection Day. Back in 1981, the first convention giving protection to individuals with regard to the automatic processing of personal data was opened for signature by the Council of Europe, the continent's leading human rights organisation. Then, 14 years ago today, the Council, recognising again the importance of personal data, launched a day to help raise awareness of the issues and our rights regarding our data. So Emma, thank you very much for joining me. Um, What I found most interesting about the Data Protection Day itself is the fact that it was launched by a human rights organisation. So it's not about laws. This is about recognising our human rights. Exactly. I think that's something that's often missed when we're talking about data protection. And I think we do need to accept, those of us working in this arena, that data protection has a bit of an image problem. It's often seen as rather clinical, a bit of a tick box bureaucratic red tape. But I think it's so important and so helpful for us to look backwards just a bit uh, to what breathed life into this environment that we now find ourselves in. And it very much stems from human rights. And it very much stems from a sense that data affects human beings in profound ways and often in ways that we don't really comprehend and understand. So yes, it goes much way further than just looking at legislation. It's we really need to understand and unpick how it affects each one and each and every one of us as human beings. So it's moving away from the idea that it's a legal thing to the more ethical side. I think like anything, like any legislative requirement and any compliance requirement, it goes way beyond law. It's it's much more about culture. How do people view it? How do they engage with it? How do they understand it? Do they engage with it? Do they see it as something that's adding value to their lives? adding something positive to their lives or do they see it as a burden and something to steer clear from and I think that that's what I talk about data protection having a bit of an image problem is that I was uh, in a taxi recently and he asked me what I did for a living and when I told him he rolled his eyes to heaven and said oh poor you and that was just interesting to me because actually I think lucky me but there is a disconnect disconnect from those of us that work in this arena that see every day the huge opportunities of data but also the huge harms that are potentially out there if we don't look after the data well and i think it's one of the most fascinating areas to work in but that little moment that i experienced does illustrate how many people out there citizens and and other sectors and businesses look at this as an, a compliance burden and don't understand how important it is in the underpinning of really basic human values. So we've got a job to do to talk about it in, in, a, in a way that's more engaging and that connects with people in a more real way. So I think it's, it's unhelpful for us as regulators to sit and obsess about the detail of law all the time or to talk exclusively about enforcement and fines. Now, they have their part, don't get me wrong. It's important that in any legislative context, if people don't do what they're meant to do, there is sanction. But data harms are real. When they affect individuals in the way that we see they affect individuals, our priority has got to be preventing those harms in the first place. And certainly at the office here, we feel really strongly that we have the ability to do that, but we only have the ability to do that by changing the cultural approach and the cultural engagement to how we see data protection in our lives and how we engage with it. 
And that's what's core, isn't it, to the ideas of our manifesto, looking at a manifesto for change so that we are changing the culture that we're living in. Exactly. And, and it's interesting to think about the environment. And it's a, it's a, a separate issue, of, of course, uh, from a legal perspective. But look how the public uh, approach to the environment and to things like plastics has changed so much in a relatively short period of time. Now, that, hasn't, that change hasn't been prompted by law. It's been prompted by better awareness, better understanding of the actual impact of some of the behaviours of human beings on the environment. And that's been hugely powerful. And that will drive legislation in the future, I think. So looking across to data protection, we need to get that uh, understanding, awareness, engagement that's genuine, not just a fear of fines, not just a fear of sanction, but a genuine and, and, and real understanding of why doing data protection well matters for us uh, economically, but also importantly, socially. It's the people power, isn't it, that drives these things. When they see the harms, when they can actually see them and they're tangible and realistic, they start to understand. Absolutely. And I think that's another problem that data has, is that much of this is opaque. It's very difficult to visualise data harms in a way that you can visualise environmental harms. We're starting to see more of that. We see data breaches in the news more and more frequently, sadly, and they're huge breaches, some of these. So we are starting to get better at understanding what those harms look like. But again, let's not wait till they're so bad that we hit a crisis. Let's try and intervene to prevent those harms from happening at all. And this means a culture change at every level, doesn't it? It's not just about businesses. This is about people as well and organisations and a community as a whole. It's absolutely a collaborative effort across society. And the danger, again, is to look just to the regulator, just to the, to the policing of a law, when actually we want every citizen. There isn't an individual or organisation in this jurisdiction that is not somehow affected by data protection, either because they have rights given to them in the law, or they have responsibilities, or likely both. So the breadth and depth of this regulation is enormous. But the size of the regulatory offices, not just here, but across Europe and beyond, we can't just sit and wait for things to go wrong and, and react in the face of, of those, uh, those harms. We've got to think creatively about how we can get the message uh, to everybody and how we can, can communicate with all the stakeholders. And that's a challenge when you've got limited resources because everybody has a different level of engagement, level of understanding with this. So we've got to try and work really hard to get that message across in a meaningful way and, and in a way that isn't just preaching and isn't just threatening but in a way that's sincere and has integrity to help a better understanding. Because the reality is, isn't it, that we are always, we're talking to the taxi driver, we're talking to the, the person, you know, just trying to go about their everyday business or daily life to get them to really care and understand. Yeah, and I did, I did take up the, the challenge in that taxi ride to try and um, convince him uh, of the importance of what I do for a living and what this office does for a living. But beyond that, why he should be interested. And we had a really, he was actually very interested by the end. And I think in that very small way, you communicate on your message, uh, not so that we can sit in an ivory tower and, and, and issue lots of fines and do lots of enforcement, um, but so that we can genuinely connect with a community uh, and help them understand the value of, of good regulation. And that isn't to say that we don't act uh, swiftly and fairly in the face of breaches, because we need to do that as well. But if we have a community that is engaged um, and engaged because they want to be engaged and understand the benefits of being engaged, that is, is got to be a win-win for everybody. 
Um, and I'm just going to pick out some of the things I've heard you say before, where you've mentioned the fact that the law is the starting point of this process, not the end point. Do you want to elaborate a bit on your ideas there? Yeah, I think uh, there, there is there is a concern sometimes that people obsess with uh, the legislation um, and miss the broader picture. And so the technology and the environment is moving so fast in this digital age that we have to look broader uh, and beyond legislation because some things that are going on uh, in in the data-driven world are probably legal but very unethical. Um, we can't keep up. Exactly. So I think we have to not see it as an ethical baseline. I've said that before. Um, it's a safety net for when things do go wrong. But I'd like things not to go wrong in the first place. And I do think that what's missing sometimes in conversations around the opportunities that data present to us is just the human uh, aspect, the human consideration. How is this going to impact people? And how would I feel if that impact was me? Um, so I think we just need to become it, it sounds trite, doesn't it? But just a bit more human. This is not an IT issue. This is a human issue. And we need to frame all our conversations uh, in the light of that. What I find interesting as well is when I'm trying to explain to people about what we do is if you give them a scenario and you give them an example where something has gone wrong, and obviously we have to be very careful with the examples we try to give, but once they get that they, and they, uh, they hear that scenario, they really see it. You're absolutely right. And I think stories have such a a potential for powerful influence because it becomes real. We can talk about data centers and the cloud and even the language is sort of ephemeral, isn't it? Clouds and things. But it is real. These, this data is sitting somewhere. This data is being used and accessed and, and manipulated by organizations. Um, so to make it real in, in, in the form of stories and anecdotes, that can be very powerful in connecting individuals to to the importance of this whole thing. Because as well, I'm thinking of the community that we're talking to. We, we have a very digitally engaged community, but there are people that we mustn't forget in the community who either choose to actively not engage or they physically can't engage through whatever situation they're in with that digital world. And we mustn't forget them because they do. there is data about them that they maybe are unwittingly producing that is being processed, that they you know, really don't, they may think that it's not happening to them. Yeah, I think it's really important to consider uh, broader questions of equality in the digital era and that by excluding certain sectors of society and certain individuals because they're not digitally literate or choose not to engage on those platforms. I think it's terribly important that we consider that too because there is an assumption that we're all online, we're all on social media. Well, that isn't the case and people have a right to not be on those platforms and they may not even be aware of those platforms. So it's very easy to be patronising to those individuals but I think some of the the role that we have here is to ensure that there is an inclusivity in approach and that includes how we inform people of their rights so we do so in a way that's accessible and plain English um, and in a way that they understand and can engage with but you're absolutely right and I think it's a, a huge question going forward globally um, with, with AI and big data how many people are being excluded from that and what impact that is going to have on them going forward. So so big questions mm-hmm. ahead it, of us. It's ethical again, isn't it? And it's about, let's just take, for example, a very simple um, scenario where somebody isn't on Facebook, but a friend of theirs posts things, pictures with them in, and you know that's not their choice, but all of a sudden they are out there and they might not be aware. It's about us making these choices as individuals and considering other people, even if it's not a legal obligation to do so. It's about our ethical and moral standpoint. 
Yeah, and it's about autonomy and and having the right to choose. Um, and I think that one of the things that is concerning going forward is is the impact of those images being out there. That you may think it's pretty innocuous, just a, a photo of somebody, but you can identify uh, people from the face uh, and and images of their faces online uh, in a way that you couldn't a few years ago. And uh, it's it's easy to say, well, I've got nothing to hide, and I hear that a lot. I hear, well, I've got if you've got nothing to hide, what are you worrying about? And I, I just think that's so misguided because, in in a very simple sense, if you go home at night and it's dark, you close the curtains. You don't want people looking in your front room. If you go to a doctor's surgery, you don't have your conversation with your GP about your medical condition with the door open, and that's not about wanting to hide something. That's just a legitimate desire for a bit of private space and that's what we need to help people understand who say we've got nothing to hide well you may not but you're still entitled to some privacy and that is really fundamental and often a point that's missed too Mm. one of the things that struck me when i was reading your notes for the manifesto was your reference to a magna carta for a digital age now that is very very um you know gets you right inside doesn't it very at the heart and that's what we want it to do because if you sat, sit down with somebody and say, I want to have a discussion with you about the data protection legislation or the GDPR, they're like, oh, I can't wait. That sounds really exciting. Um, but if you say, I want to sit down and talk to you about a manifesto for change, I want, I want this jurisdiction, this culture to change its approach to data and I want to do that via a manifesto pledge or oath or whatever you want to call it, that is more likely to pique interest. Um, and it also points to the fact that it's a it's a society issue, not just a regulated issue or a regulated uh, industry issue. It is a, uh, an issue for the entire population, all sectors, third sector, government, private sector, citizens. Um, it affects everybody in some way, shape or form. So a manifesto points to something that is broader uh, and deeper uh, than legislation itself. And that's what we're aiming for. And I think what's interesting as well is though, although it is bigger than that, it also makes perfect business sense because for any business or organisation to thrive, they need the trust of the people that they're working with. Exactly. And I think that uh, enlightened organisations get that and they also understand that the reputational hit of a big data breach in the press is actually more worrying for them than a regulatory fine. Um, So you are seeing organisations position themselves uh, to use privacy as a competitive advantage. There are a number of brands now that actually talk about privacy in their advertising. And they're doing that for a reason, because you're right, the minute you start eroding trust and confidence from the people that are buying your products, then you've got a problem. So yes, I think for the private sector, that's a real incentive and that will drive the market going forwards. But again, there's a lot of opaque uh, activity going on. So for citizens to really influence market forces they need full information and we don't always have it and of course the other side of that coin is government they don't have that sort of driver that individuals can't choose and can't vote with their feet if they've got to work with a tax office they need to give their data to the tax office they have no choice so there are different pressures for the public sector so again there are there are a lot of the audience for us is very wide in getting our message across about why this matters. But I think the competitive advantage is something that you will see exploited more and more by organisations, um, which is great. And I, and I encourage that. And I think that the more citizens feel engaged with the question of who they're giving their money and 
who they, what products they're buying um, and factoring in how that organization is treating their data and how they're respecting privacy, the more that we can all do that, the more it will encourage organizations to position themselves in a, in a stronger way from a data perspective. And it just makes sense, doesn't it, as well, especially as the world is becoming smaller. So even, you know, as small individuals, we might be dipping into corporations based across the world. So if their global, you know, attitude to data is really good and very strong and ethical, then they are reaching across the globe, not just their small, you know, jurisdiction. Yeah, I absolutely buy into that completely. And I think we've got to keep that narrative going and we've got to use those organizations as exemplars that, that do this well because there are a number of them that do it well you know it's, it's not all doom and gloom but we really do have to become less tolerant of organizations that don't do it well mm. and we need to be looking forwards um, while learning from when it has gone wrong in the past I think it's important in it, whatever we do for a living uh, and even our personal lives to reflect on where we've come from and what we've done in the preceding year or years or, or decades of our history and use that to help us to navigate what's coming ahead because certainly what's coming ahead is is moving quickly and much of it is is very difficult to predict but i don't buy into the sense that it's just all inevitable i think that regulators across europe and beyond have the opportunity to influence but i think more importantly we need whole communities to get together to be the driver for change um, but i think there's i'm optimistic that can happen i think that it's it's not over um, it's not a done deal um, things are changing and you're starting to see the approach of, of regulators, of governments, of, of the big social media platforms. Things are starting to change. So I'm optimistic, but there is still lots to do. Which leads me back really to our ideas and our manifesto for change. So how do you see that being able to drive change in our jurisdiction? It's about setting out a bit of a vision that goes beyond legislation. It includes legislation, but it helps to frame the legislation into something a little bit bigger, into our community. And of course, we're part of a global community too. So feeding from other regulators and other governments who are, are interested in progressive um, ideas in this space of how to actually engage cultural change. So it's really using a manifesto, using a document like that to set our stall and to say, we do this because it matters. We do this because we care. And we want to do it in the best way possible, in the way that will engage as many people as possible. And we have limited resources and we have to work with those resources, but we want to do so creatively. So using all the tools available to us and many of those tools are tools of language uh, where we want to just communicate the benefits of doing this well and the importance of doing it well. Um, and so using that uh, as a platform for some broader ideas and putting data in, in a bit of a wider context. What message would you have for people listening now? Um, how can they be part of that and engage with it themselves? Firstly, it's taking an interest in everything that goes on around you. If you work in an environment, there is going to be data. If you're a citizen, every day you're giving your data to somebody. Um, so be aware of that. Take an active interest. But if you're a professional in, in this jurisdiction, there are things that you can do. That we, there are events that we run. There are groups that you can join. Um, so it's, it's seeing it as a positive aspect of your professional or personal life rather than a burden and engaging where you can, but also committing yourself to treating the data that's in your possession as if it were your own or your family's. 
and giving it the respect because behind each data each bit of data is a human being um, and I think we often forget that we, we talk of it in very technological terms uh, but let's start framing it in in a, in a more human centric way I think that's the first step because that's part of the problem isn't it we just see spreadsheets with numbers on and figures and but actually they do relate to real people yeah and every and when you think about the number of data breaches we see we we hear almost weekly now x million people affected and we're sort of it's sort of statistical numbing if you like that we get immune to it and we get like oh, another one another one um, and i and i have and i encourage people to have what i call pause and reflect moments that when you hear stories like that just take a couple of seconds to actually reflect on what you're listening to and what you're hearing and what that means in the real world mm-hmm. Um, for the people that are affected and maybe how you can play a small part in preventing that from happening going forward. Mm. You just have to put yourself in their shoes for a moment, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, the law is, is, a, is a big piece of legislation. And don't get me wrong, you need to understand if you're working as a legal advisor and data protection officer in an organisation that has lots of data, you need to understand your legal obligations. But doing data well is is not rocket science treating people with respect is not rocket science it's just about being decent actually i'm going to ask you to recount one of the the favorite things of mine that you say where you're giving an example of the taking the money from a colleague if you'd like to share yeah I, i've said this in in the past just as a, as a um, rather fr- frivolous story but nonetheless i hope it has parallels that um I don't, if I see £10 on the floor that my friend or colleague has just dropped from their wallet, what is stopping me from picking it up and putting it in my pocket? And I would suggest that it's not the fact that I will be committing an act of theft and I'll be worried about the police or worried about what a section of a law is telling me what to do or not to do. I don't pick it up and pocket it for myself because I'm a decent human being and I respect that that is somebody else's property. So what's driving me in that context is not law, What's driving me is behaving in a decent, ethical and moral way and with respect for my colleague. And that's what we ask in a data context is that don't look obsessively at what the law is telling you to do. But how does it feel for you as a human being? What is that data processing and how is it going to impact that individual? And what steps can you take to encourage a broader conversation about ensuring human values are at the centre of what you're doing rather than uh, a, a desire to exploit those individuals or that individual and it's really a shift um, uh, in in how we approach the whole subject. Emma thank you again every time I talk to you about these kind of things you inspire me and I'm filled with hope that um, our listeners will be also equally inspired and want to engage so anyone listening we would love to hear your thoughts so please do get in touch you can email us at communications that's with an s at odpa.gg Um, And it does seem that we're thinking very hard about how individuals and organisations respond to data protection legislation and how their behaviour and attitudes influence the decisions they make. So we do have an opportunity here to turn our perceptions about data protection and compliance on its head. So looking at it from a perspective of what's right and moral rather than what we're obliged to do, which is really what we're here all about, isn't it? So very exciting vision, moving away from that ticking of boxes to that cultural engagement where it's that value and moral obligation to looking after data properly that's at the top of our agendas. So Emma, as you've said before and you said earlier, it's about that law being a safety net, isn't it, for when things go wrong, not an ethical baseline to set our standards at. 
So thank you very much again. And um, don't forget, everyone, to look out for our next podcast. And please listen back to some of the others if you haven't already. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you to Emma. And goodbye. Goodbye.